13, starting at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. He said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he said. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Nah, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And he tells another little story, and his disciples are like, wait, 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 let's go back to that other one. When he left the crowd, went into the house, his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Talking about himself. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. We'll go that far. Lots of good stuff in there, don't you think? I'm sure you've noticed this before. Maybe not. If not, I'm going to point it out to you. Have you ever noticed how many shows on TV between the time of 7 p.m. and 10 p.m., so like primetime television, have you ever noticed how many shows have center around like police officers or detectives or like CIA or FBI agents or courtroom dramas. Have you noticed this? These shows are like on all the time and they have to do with the good people working really hard to make sure that the bad people get caught, are prosecuted, and eventually they get what they deserve. Like these shows are on all the time. I'm guessing that if you wanted to, every single night of the week, you could sit down in front of your TV and find a show with that theme on your television. I'm not even talking about what you can find on Netflix and HBO and all that other stuff that we can get. I'm just talking about what you can do sitting down in front of your TV with an antenna. You remember those things? Yeah. So network TV, like NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, and you could probably throw in IPTV just for fun. You could probably find a show like that every single night where the good people are trying to work really hard to get the bad people to catch them, to prosecute them, and make sure that they get what, what they deserve. They keep making these shows because we keep consuming them. We consume them like they're candy. We love shows like these. Why is that? Why do we, do, why do we love shows like these? I think I know, and I think 
you do too if you just think about it for long enough. People like you and me, we get hooked on these shows. And by the way, cop shows are my favorite. Like Blue Bloods, I don't know why. Like I'll watch that show. It doesn't matter if it's a rerun. If I want to, I'll watch it. I know what's going to happen. I love shows like that. Have always loved shows like that. We watch shows like this because they resonate with us, don't they? We seem, we seem to have this sort of uh, internal moral code that's somehow embedded in our souls. We crave justice. We, we love justice. When we look out at the world and we see something wrong in the world, we want to see it made right again. We want to see it fixed. It's wrong. Let's make sure it's fixed. And I don't think this is an accident. I think this is deliberate. It's the mark of our maker in whose image that we've been created. This book reveals that God is the one like, who establishes justice in the world and carries it out to completion with perfection. And somehow this idea of justice, this thirst for justice, has been, has been stamped on our souls. And it's like, we want that too. If something's wrong, let's make it right. Now, you can test this idea out if you want. You can go to any playground in anywhere in the world, and you can watch and you can listen to children playing. And sooner or later, you're going to hear somebody, some child, say at some point, that's not fair. Ha, <laughs> you saw that one coming. That's not, we probably hear that in our house once a day. Sorry, kids, I just outed you, right? We don't have to teach, we don't have to work very hard to teach our kids about fairness and unfairness. As N.T. Wright says, this sense of justice comes with the kit of being human. We know about it, as we say, in our bones. That comes from a book called Simply Christian. If you want to read it, I recommend it to you. So, this sense of justice comes with the kit of being human. We know about it, as we say, in our bones. We do, don't we? We know about it in our bones. Like, we feel it when something's wrong. Uh, let's make that right. Now, in the Bible, we can see this sense of justice that we know in our bones. We can see it reflected back to us in this book called the Psalms. Now, the Psalms are a collection of prayers that actual people have prayed to God. Right? And so there are examples of this sense of justice, this sense of wanting things made right, uh, all throughout the Psalms. So I'm just going to point out a couple of them to you. These are real, actual prayers recorded for us in the Bible. This one comes from Psalm 28. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors but harbor malice in their hearts. Anybody know anybody like that? We don't have to talk about it. No specifics, no names. And then the psalmist goes on. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work, O God. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back upon them what they deserve. So there's this, the scales of justice. There's this idea that they're out of whack. Somebody needs to pay for what happened. Oh God, make it happen, right? This is the next one from Psalm 58. This is an actual prayer that somebody prayed to God and thought, 
That was a good one. I'm going to write that down so we people later on can pray this prayer too. So first, the psalmist talks about his enemies, starts talking about them, describes them to God, and then proceeds to tell God what God should probably do to them. Here's how it goes. Psalm 58, starting at verse 4, if you're keeping track. Their venom is like the venom of a snake. That like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out, O Lord, the fangs of lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows be blunted like a slug melting away as it moves along like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. That's an actual prayer recorded for us in the Bible. And I, for one, am glad that it's in there because I've felt like that before. Haven't you? You maybe not break the teeth in their mouth. That's maybe going a little too far, but maybe not. Like we've felt that before. It's profoundly honest, right? And it's a reflection of this sense of justice that we have inside of us. We all have it inside of us. And it's obviously something that we feel really passionate about. Right? We want to see things made right. That's exactly why there's all these shows. Because the people who make these shows know that we'll watch them. Know, know that we'll watch them because it connects with us on a deep, deep level. We love watching people get what they deserve. If you have siblings, you have to admit it. When you were younger, you loved it and you giggled uncontrollably when mom and dad made your siblings get what they deserve. I sure did. We love it. When we're driving down the road and we see somebody signing a ticket for going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit in a school zone, we, something inside of us is like, ooh, he just got caught. <laughs> I'll even say that out loud with my kids in the back. And quietly inside, I'll be like, thank you, God, that wasn't me. Right? We like it when cops get the bad guys. We love it when when Superman gets Lex Luthor or whoever, or Batman gets the enemy, we love it when the bad people get what they deserve. Mm, it's inside of us. It's in our bones. We, we know it. Right? And that's exactly why this little parable from Jesus is so confusing. Because this isn't how it's supposed to go, Jesus what are you thinking? We hear the story that he tells, and if we're paying attention, we got these little alarm bells that go off in our brains because we're like, uh-uh, Jesus, you're making a mess of things here. So here's the story as Jesus tells it. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like, whenever Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, that's our cue to be like, ooh, I'm going to pay attention to what he's saying because what he's saying is the kingdom is the world and the king is God. This is how God reigns. This is how God rules in the world. Okay? He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while everybody else was sleeping, some mean dude came in and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then the little wimp took off. That's a direct quote. When, well, when the wheat finally matured, they could see all the weeds. Right? So the servants come to the farmer and they're all like, what's up, dude? I thought you said you sowed good seed. Clearly you put a whole bunch, what's happening here? Why are all these weeds here? And the farmer says, George from down the road never has liked me very well. He must have done it. That little agricultural terrorist, he made a mess of things for me. Right now, this is where our internal justice alarms go off. We got these alarm bells go off. We want to fix it. Something's wrong. We want to make it right. And so we, with the servants, say to the farmer, you want us to go out and pick the weeds? We'll pull them up. And then this is where Jesus starts talking like a crazy farmer. He's like, essentially, as the farmer say, eh, don't worry about it. Just let the weeds and the wheat grow up together and we'll figure it out later. Come on, Jesus. Don't you know anything about farming? Like the first thing you learn about farming is you can't have weeds in your field. If you have weeds in your field, all kinds of crazy things start happening. They could grow so badly that they could choke out your entire crop. You don't want that do you? Or at the very least, your yield come harvest time is going to be way less than it should be. You got to do something about the weeds, Jesus. You might want to investigate some sort of quality control here, Jesus. You, you might as well put on some weed killer. They've got this great stuff that you can now spray on field, fields. It'll kill the weeds, but your weed will be just It'll be just fine. I see commercials about it all the time while I'm watching TV at night about cops and detectives and stuff. You, you got to figure out what to do with the weeds. Can we help? We'll pull them up. Right? And then Jesus, so, and Jesus says, no. Right? Don't do it. What's Jesus getting at? What's the point of the parable? I think it goes something like this. The field is mine belongs to me, not me. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, the field is mine. It belongs to me. The world is mine. It belongs to me. The field is mine. The wheat is mine. Even the weeds are mine. You let me worry about the weeds. You just focus on being good wheat. Good wheat that bears seeds, fruit that blesses the world, that Maybe we'll give birth to new wheat. You focus on being good wheat, offering grace and blessing to the world. You let me worry about the weeds. Which, now that I think about it, brings us back to those psalms. That's exactly what those people were doing. Like, look, God, I want you to break the teeth in their mouth. But you do what you got to do. I'm not doing it. You take care of it, God, because the field, the world, belongs to God. And Jesus is saying, it belongs to me, man. You worry about being good wheat. Leave the weeds to me, which I think is a good word for us to hear. Don't you? It's a good word for us to hear because we live in a rush to judgment kind of a world where we're encouraged to label. We're encouraged to name call. We're encouraged to separate us from them. We're encouraged because we see it all the time, to point out the faults and wrongs of others and people on the other side of whatever spectrum you find yourself on. 
right? It happens at home. It happens at work. It happens in our neighborhoods. Think about the gossip that you hear. It happens in school. It happens all the time, right? It happens in politics, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like at an insane level, it happens there. Right? That's the world in which we live. And we got to be honest about this. It isn't just the world that's gone crazy because this infects, this infects Jesus' people too. It does. We've got Jesus' people on the right and Jesus' people on the left. And both sides think that they're the best. They're the nice, pretty flowers. And the other side is they're the weeds. We got to do something about those people. Some people in our circles are judged uh, for caring too much for the poor. And some people are judged for not caring at all for the poor. Some people are judged from, for having doctrinal errors. And some people are judged for, for not holding any doctrine at all. Right? And there's divisions that happens. Fights break out. People are at each other's throats and splits happen. We're part of the Reformed Church in America. That's the denomination to which we belong. A number of years ago, by the way, we're the oldest denomination in America. Uh. Anyway, years and years ago, there was a spat, a fight that took place. Pillar Church, Holland, Michigan, involved guns and chains on a door, and it caused a split. And so now we have the Christian Reformed Church and just the Reformed Church. These things happen. They're painful. People get hurt all the time. And so I think we can understand why Jesus would say, look, don't pull up the weeds. If you pull up the weeds, you're gonna inevitably pull up some wheat too. And it's going to be painful and you're going to hurt really good people. Leave the weeds to me. We understand what Jesus means because we've seen it happen. Now in Jesus's day, the Pharisees were the weed pullers. If you read the stories about Jesus interacting with the Pharisees in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you quickly come to the conclusion that you don't really want to be identified as a Pharisee. You've read the stories in the Bible. Does anybody want to be a Pharisee? Show of hands. Nope, not a single one. But let's be fair to the Pharisees. Like what I did there? Let's be fair to the Pharisees. They were actually pretty good people. In fact, they were actually really good people. If we were to describe the Pharisees, this is what we would say about them. And I want you to think about whether or not this describes anybody you know. The Pharisees loved the Scriptures loved the Bible, loved the Scriptures. They would do nearly anything to protect it and make sure it was understood as deeply and as correctly as possible. The Pharisees, they were really good moral people who always tried to do the right thing. The Pharisees, they envisioned a, a society where everybody always a good moral society, where everybody always tried to do the right thing. Does this describe anybody you know? Right? The Pharisees were 
some good people. They had this one idea that kind of makes us go, eh, no. There's this idea that God was not going to save his people until they got their act together. So, Jerusalem at the time was under Roman occupation. God was not saving them from Roman occupation because people didn't have their act together. And so, they blamed tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and adulterers, and they liked to point out the sins of other people, and they were the weed pullers of their day. Do we know any weed pullers of our day? day. Perhaps we've engaged in weed pulling in our day, and Jesus comes along, and he says, this is my farm, y'all. The field belongs to me. The wheat belongs to me. Even the weeds belong to me. You focus on being good wheat, producing fruit and blessing and grace for the world. That's your gig. Leave the weeds to me. Now, point of the parable is not to say that Jesus or things are going to be easy for the weeds. No, Jesus says it himself. He makes it perfectly clear that there will be some sort of separation. There will be some sort of burning. We don't know what that looks like. There will be, there'll be plenty of gnashing of teeth. He says it. But that's about all we know. We don't know exactly how that plays out or what that looks like. That's about all that we can say about that. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to teach us. Leave the judging to me, everybody. He knows better than we do that we human beings have a tendency to be way off the mark when judging the moral character of family, friends, coworkers, people at school. Have you ever, have you ever judged somebody and been wrong about it? Been like, oh, I totally miscalculated your intentions there. I feel like a fool. Jesus knows. Because we don't see the big picture. We don't understand the heart. We cannot see the whole field for what it is. And sometimes what we think is a weed is perfectly fine wheat to Jesus. We misread it because we can't see perfectly. I'll put that picture up, Scott. It's a painting. You recognize this? It's called, let me get it right, A Sunday on La Grande Jatte. It's French. <laughs> it's by George Seurat. Right? You may have seen this painting in a movie. Anyone know what one? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, if you haven't seen that movie, you should probably watch it. Although, if you're a parent, you should probably watch it and remind yourselves about some certain things in that movie before you let your kids watch it. Just a word of advice. Anyway. In creating this masterpiece, Seurat used a technique known as pointillism. Anybody ever heard of pointillism? Yeah! I won't ask you to describe it. I'll do the hard work. I just learned about this a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, it's so good, right? So, okay, the artist, in creating a, a masterpiece like this, uses little dots of paint. There's no brush strokes. It's all dots, Okay? Now, here's the really, really cool thing about pointillism, because there's some scientific stuff that George Seurat was all into. He wanted to introduce science into art. This is so cool. 
So, sometimes it's really difficult for painters to mix paint together and get the exact color that they want you to see. So you know what they do? They put little dots on the canvas of different colors close together so that when you step back from it, your eye is tricked, whoops, and you see the color that the artist wants you to see. How cool is that? So the color is not actually on there, but when you step back, you see the color that the artist wants you to see. Think pixels on your TV screen. That's where it came from. So cool, isn't it? Now, if you were to go up to this painting right here, and you were to look at, say, a four by four inch square of the thing, you would see a bunch of different little colored dots that don't make any sense. And you would think to yourself, oh, little Johnny preschooler did a really good job painting little dots on a picture. Right? It would make no sense to you. By the way, the thing is 10 feet by 7 feet. It's huge. It doesn't make any sense when you're standing close. But when you step back and you see the whole thing, all of a sudden you're like, oh. So beautiful. That is so good. Jesus is saying, y'all can't judge. You don't have the full picture. Y'all, y'all can't do it. Like, you can't see the whole thing. You don't have all the information. You don't have it all. I'm the one who sees the whole field. I'm the one who sees the whole thing. The field is mine, the harvest is mine, the wheat is mine, the weeds are mine. It's all mine. Leave the weeds to me. You focus on being good wheat. So the challenge for us is to put our energy into just being good wheat. (laughs) In this world, in this context, in this culture, where we're taught to do the opposite and where we see it played out, all the time, every day. Our challenge is to just don't join in. Be good wheat. Instead of killing weeds, instead of pulling weeds, instead of pointing out, look at those weeds, instead of building barriers and boundaries to keep them out so that we can be protected from all the weeds, you know, we're, our focus is to grow healthy and strong. Leave the judging to Jesus. Grow healthy, fruit-bearing wheat, that will make more wheat, or that will bless the world. If there are weeds, let Jesus take care of them. When Jesus wants to take care of him, it's his field. It's up to him. Besides, does anybody know what, what the, the best way to keep weeds out of your yard is? Maturity and growth, right? Anyone who loves to take care of their grass knows that you can't just mow the weeds down because those things are going to come back. They're strong and they're tough. You can't mow them down. The best way to keep weeds out is to grow really healthy turf. And they got no place to grow. That's our job, to grow healthy and strong. So perhaps, perhaps you've been thinking about some ways in which you've put energy, maybe even this last week, into pointing out the weeds, into identifying the weeds, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe at play, maybe online. Look at all the weeds. Think about the ways in which you put energy into that. Now, what would happen if you took your energy you poured into that and decided, no, 
not going to do that anymore. I'm going to pour my energy into just becoming a nice, beautiful, fruit-bearing, grace-filled, blessing-offering piece of wheat. What if you did that? That's our job. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story, uh, for this word that you've given us, especially given the world in which we live, which sometimes can be so frustrating and toxic. Help us to help us to be a light in the world. Help us to be different. Help us to bring grace. Help us to bring healing. Help us to bring blessing. Help us to leave the weeds to you, knowing that somehow, some way, in your divine capacity, even the weeds can be transformed into wheat. So we give them to you. Help us to become good wheat. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's